Welcome everyone watching online. I trust that you are doing well and, uh, and I trust that you are healthy and ready for some encouragement from God's Word. We are paying close attention to the changing uh, landscape that is, seems to be changing daily and we're doing our best to stay in touch with as many of you as possible. And uh, we are also obviously praying for the nation and praying for the leaders of the nation and all those that are dealing with COVID-19 and the current crisis. I um, want to echo one announcement that I, I think came through the, uh, with the video, which was a COVID relief fund. If you have it in your heart to give to that, um, please go watch. There's some videos that we've put out. Please, uh, if you have extra, please give to that. We do have some people that are in need, and uh, we would love to be able to bless them and help them. All right, if you could grab your Bibles at home, uh, it's better if you have a physical Bible just so that you can follow along, and, uh, and if you could go and take and get your Bibles if you don't have them, and please turn to Psalm 84, to Psalm 84. And uh, while you turn there, I want to encourage you as well to listen to my dad's message from last week. He uh, spoke about uh, not losing heart, and I thought his message was really outstanding. There's a part there, he speaks about the authority, and I just want to encourage you, it was outstanding. I was here listening to it, but um, I just want to encourage you to go listen to it. I thought it was a, a wonderful, wonderful message. I um, also realized that I haven't actually turned my phone off, so let's do that. Um, so much is happening in one week right now. It feels like there's, you know, people go through emotionally in a week what normally you go through in a month. Mm. And so sometimes it's hard to keep track. And, uh, and for some people that can be very unsettling. And so I, I've done my best to just try to put my ear up to the Lord and to hear what He's saying. And I think, you know, there are... There are seasons when leaders sometimes have to first put the ear up to the heart of, heart of God. Instead of when things like this happen, it says in 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, talks about uh, the sons of Issachar, and, the, and the, the context is when people were coming to David's army. And there was a whole bunch of people that were joining David's army in groups. And it says about these guys, the sons of Issachar, it says 1 Chronicles 12.32, you can stay in Psalm 84. It says, The sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, and their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. So having understanding of the times and of the seasons actually leads us to wisdom. I heard a, a quote that says, Wisdom is to know what to do, and great wisdom is to know what to do next. And... So I believe it's the role of leaders, as I was saying, to not just start to do things. When these things come up and these crises or these events take place, there's a great pressure on leaders. And I'll just have you know, there's a great pressure on all forms of leaders, leaders in the home, leaders in business, leaders in the nation, leaders in church, to do all manner of different things. But I believe it's, you cannot do the right things until we've understood a little bit of the times and the seasons. And so it is actually the role of leaders to first sometimes take a pause and put the ear to heaven, put the ear to God's heart, and begin to get his perspective. Because if we don't have his perspective, which is most of the time completely different to ours, 
we will find there will be a lot of activity, but it will not bear a lot of fruit. And so we want to be like the sons of Issachar, who can have some understanding of the times and of the seasons, so that we know what to do. And it begins by focusing on things that are not just affecting us, not just focusing on us and everything that's affecting us in my home and my world. We have to think a little bit bigger than that. So I want to encourage us by giving us some prophetic reminders. Uh, Last year, the Lord began to speak to us prophetically here at Free Life Church, and I'm gonna, I've literally just copied, uh, copied and pasted some words that I brought last year, which now have a lot of context. And so I'm gonna read you some of the things. Now, if you're in Free Life Church and you're listening, you would have heard these publicly shared multiple times, and so I hope that you remember them. But um, this is what we were saying last year. The Lord says I'm doing a new thing. I'm breaking boxes and shaking old systems and what it will lead to the church that will not look the same. Now that begins to have some context and some understanding. It doesn't mean that the church not looking the same is about us doing church over video, but I believe that some of what's happening and what God is wanting to do is He will take what is happening and use it for good. It doesn't mean He authors it, but He will use it for good and He will work with it and He will change things. And we said last year that the Lord is doing a new thing in breaking boxes and structures, which is now taking place. We also said there is an awakening coming, but it will not come as others have said in the past, and it will not come the same way. We also said, the Lord says, I'm doing a new thing, and it will not look like we think. We also said, we spoke for about two to three months here at Free Life about the land of Goshen. The Lord just spoke to me about the land of Goshen, which was the land that the Israelites lived in when all the plagues affected Egypt. Now, I had no idea that this would happen. But for about two months, we preached. We had prayer meetings about the land of Goshen. And we said, the land of Goshen, there's something coming that will greatly affect many people, but it will affect God's people differently. And that was literally about a plague. Then we, I had a vision many times over and over. I kept seeing a similar type of thing, and I, I stood up and I spoke about it, and I didn't have great understanding of it. But I said, uh, I saw people coming to the Lord in groups, random people, strangers to one another, coming in groups, standing in shopping, market, uh, uh, shopping malls outside of their vehicles. I said that publicly. And, uh, and standing outside of their homes, coming to the Lord and worshiping and singing to the Lord. And I, I couldn't grasp how that would happen, but I kept seeing that, and they would come with a lot of tears. Now, that's happening all over YouTube. We're seeing people standing in streets, worshiping and singing. Now, I don't bring these words up because I shared them. I, I trust you. <laughs> I believe you trust my heart. It's not about the one who said them, or it's not about that. But it encourages us for a number of reasons. It encourages us, firstly, because we realize how quickly we forget what the Lord says. You know, we look at the, the people of Israel, uh, the Israelites in the desert. My dad shared a little bit about that in a video this past week. But they would come to, for example, the, the bitter waters of Marah, and they just come out of this amazing signs and wonders and miracles as they cross the Red Sea. And they'd say, God, He's forgotten us, and He's brought us here to die. And we read that thinking, Really? Because to us, it's a sentence over there and a sentence over to there. But to them, they were living in it. These things that the Lord was saying to us last year was less than six months ago. But when things begin to happen, we very quickly forget that 
and we live just in the now. And so it's very encouraging also because it didn't take God by surprise. He knew. All, everything that I read, in a sense, everything that the Lord was saying last year, is all happening now, is all taking place or is beginning to take place. And it's encouraging because God knew. He really he is above it all. He is not shaken. He's not worried. He didn't fall off his throne and go, oh, no, COVID. I didn't see. I didn't expect. I, he didn't do that. He actually was speaking to prophetic people, speaking to the prophets, speaking to people all over the world to prepare. Now, I want to read you a, another prophetic word to give some encouragement because in the beginning of the year, I also stood up and I said, the word uh, that the Lord gave me for the year was the word awakening, that there's an awakening coming. And I stood up and I shared a whole message out of this. But in 1986, now I haven't gone, I'm just being real, I haven't actually gone and checked and authenticated of this. I haven't done that for myself, but I trust the source that I found it. And I know it's going around social media, but I also know the man who spoke at David Wilkerson, and he spoke many such things that have come to pass. But in 1986, David Wilkerson said this, I see a plague coming on the world, and the bars and churches and government will shut down. The plague will hit New York City and shake it like it has never been shaken. The plague is going to force prayerless, prayerless believers into radical prayer and back into their Bibles. And repentance will be the cry from the man of God in the pulpit. And out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. That was shared in 1986. So I want to talk to you this morning about understanding the times, understanding the times. And so if you could go to Psalm 84, you should already be there, and I'm going to join you in there if I can find it. We're going to read the whole psalm, and then we're going to make some comments. The psalm is actually broken into six portions. We're going to focus only on one, but let's go ahead and read Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. This psalm is actually written by the sons of Korah, and the psalm is... Uh, the singers in David's tabernacle, which was a worship system he set up and which really came to fruition in the days of Solomon, they would think about these um, this, uh, when the people would gather together, which a lot of us are thinking about now, and they would long to be in the house of God, which to them was the actual temple in Jerusalem, and they would long to be with that, so they weren't there, and they were saying, how I would long to be in the tabernacle, how I long to stand in the presence of God, how I long, and he starts saying, even the sparrows that come and hide in the walls and make their homes around the temple, and he's speaking about coming to the temple and the longing in his heart, to, the longing in the, the, the singer's hearts to be back there. But then he says this, verse 5, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, because they would have to go on a long, arduous journey to go from where they were back to the temple for various feasts and for where their time of service would come. So blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they, as they pass through the valley of Baca, which is the valley of weeping or the valley of tears, 
They make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, and each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, verse 8, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. That is a reference to the Messiah. For a day in your courts, that's in the presence of the Lord, is better than a thousand. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. That was a way of saying I'd rather have nothing and have the presence of God than live in luxury but with a heart that is not for the Lord. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. So, as I said, the psalm is broken up into six portions. We're going to look at one of the portions, and it's verse 5 to 7. And it says this, read it again. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each one appears before God in Zion. So the good news is the truth of verse 7. Each one appears before God in Zion. Zion to them was the temple when they would arrive, which means what? If we're looking at that for this season to, to, to understand, is that we will make it. They did make it. We will be okay. Everything will be, it will come to pass. This will pass. They did make it in a sense to where they were going. But it says um, they go from strength to strength. So they arrived where they were going to go. The journey was difficult. They did arrive there. But when they arrived there, they arrived there much stronger than when they left. And yet it starts off by saying, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. So the increase in their strength and stamina was not in the natural. It was in the spirit. And they went from strength to strength as they approached and as they partnered with the Lord. So I, this text, I believe, gives us wonderful insight so we can actually have some understanding in this season. And that's why I want to speak to you about understanding the times. And we're going to cover three main points, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7. It's reliance revealed. The Lord is coming to reveal to His people what they actually rely on. The second is learning to dig. And the third is unshakable hearts. So, reliance revealed. Verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. This takes us to a story to better explain what I believe the Lord will want to show us. A story in Luke chapter 19, and I know it's Palm Sunday, and I know Luke 19 has the triumphal entry uh, about Jesus going into Jerusalem. My wife read some of that this morning. I'm not going to read that to you now, but I want it's about the story of Zacchaeus. And the story of Zacchaeus, we know the story. I'll pick it up in 19 verse 4. Um, actually, I'll pick it up in verse, actually, let's just go from verse 1. It says here, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So he was in charge of all the tax collectors of a whole region. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Sometimes Jesus is on a path, 
and we long to partner with the Lord. We long to, to get, in a sense, on the path that Jesus is on. But there's nothing in our own strength. There's nothing in our natural ability that we can see from his perspective. Zacchaeus, he was too short. There was nothing in himself that he could see the path. So he actually had to find help. He had to go higher to see a different perspective. That's just a nugget that you can dig out later. And he says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Obviously, he had gone and had dinner, and there's been a relationship. He had had a big feast and so forth. That was the culture of the time. And at the end of that, he says, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So Jesus enters this man's home. An entire community is enriched because of something that happens in one man's heart concerning Jesus. So what happened? What changed? Well, I believe that Zacchaeus' strength, what he relied upon, was his wealth. He was a man who was interested in power and status and wealth, and he was more interested in that than he was in people. And so he used his position to, in, to enrich himself. And Jesus comes into his home and impacts his heart, and he changes what he relies on. He starts to think very differently. He starts to realize that what he would lean on in a sense, what he would rely on when times are difficult, his power, his status, his wealth, wouldn't actually last. and wouldn't. So he gives all of that away because of the impact in his heart, because something has changed in his heart from temporary things to eternal things. And he gives his wealth away. Secondly, his value had changed. What Zacchaeus considered valuable, his value structure had altered. And it had changed. And it had changed his heart, and therefore it had changed his home. And there's a lot more we can take out of that text, but we'll leave it there. Many people are in the same position now, and we need one another. We need one another more than perhaps before, and we need to learn all the one another's in Scripture. There's 59 one another's. Take care of one another. Love one another. Carry one another's burdens. Pray for one another. And so this is not a, you know, suffer better message. Just be better at suffering. It's not that. But I do know that to understand the times, one of the ways that the Lord is using this is He's leaving the church building in a sense, and He's coming back into the home. And when the Lord comes into the home, there's a scripture I've shared many times. The Bible says, the Son of Man, speaking, Jesus said, for the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he would often sleep when he was on the earth. He would often sleep on the Mount of Olives because the crowds would want to come out to Jesus for the power of the miracles or the wonders. But they, they didn't really want him in the home because if he came in your home, your home was turned inside out and upside down for the good and the bad. Sometimes there's a crucible that you have to go through for what God wants to bring about. And 
I believe I was speaking with Dwayne and he was saying how excited he was because through what's happening, the, the voice of the Word of God, not the voice of people, yes, it comes through people, but the Word of God is permeating into actual homes all over the world, more than maybe ever before. And so God is using this, I believe, to, to leave people's structured mindset about coming to a church building, which we need to do. That's in the Bible. It's great. I'm not dealing with that theological difference now that some people have. But he's using it to go from the building, and we do church on a Sunday, to go back into the home and to reset values <laughs> and to change things. And people are beginning to realize whether they believe what they believe. People are beginning to realize, do they pray? This is, it's, not a, it's not a rebuke, but do we pray as a family? Do we pray as a couple? Do we pray in the home? Do we have a, a Bible? Do we have Scripture in the home? And so he's coming back around the family table, and he steps into the home to reveal what we rely on, just like he did with Zacchaeus. He steps into the home to reveal what we rely on. And it's not a rebuke. It's not at all, friends. It's actually God doing this. And you know, because there's another one who's similar to Zacchaeus, and it was the rich young ruler, which you can go read about. But this man who's super wealthy, but he's self-righteous, he's obeyed all the laws, but he comes to the Lord, he says, I've obeyed, I've obeyed all the laws, I've done all these things. And Jesus says, okay, well, go sell everything you have and follow me. And so you have two people in a similar situation. What they, what they leaned on, what they relied on was temporary things, was wealth, was power, was status. And the one has a dramatic shift and turnaround in the heart and enriches an entire community. The other one walks away sad. Why? Because to just tell someone, go and do this, it's like the law in the Old Testament. It doesn't empower change. The law doesn't empower any change. I could tell you need to pray more. You need to, it doesn't empower change. Relationship does. Jesus went into their home, and he had dinner and a meal. And so when Jesus comes into the home, he builds a relationship, and it empowers change. Some of the things that people have always wanted their home to look like, well, there's opportunities for that right now. But there will be a crucible that you walk through which may not be that exciting and which may not be that pleasant. But it is, I believe, partly what the Lord is doing. See, remember the verse, 1 Chronicles 12, 32. The sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. And the reason I believe that God is stepping into the homes as well is because He's reminding His people which is you, which is me, which is us, what it means to be His people, what it means to be the people of God, what it means to be those who are of the family or the household of God. And He reminds us to do that. And it's the same through the whole Old Testament. The same issue would arise over and over. We read it and we think, how can they forget that God just do that? But every generation does that. Every generation. And it's the same question for thousands of years. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And we say, yes, we trust you. But then he comes into the home and re we realize what we lean on. We realize what we rely on. And God is going to use this to build trust. Because to know what to do 
We cannot know what to do until we have at least some understanding of the season. They had understanding of the times and their seasons and they knew what to do. We need some understanding of the times to know how we are to respond. And we can't understand that if we start asking wrong questions. Like I shared a couple of weeks ago, the disciples in the storm, they said to Jesus when they were crossing the lake, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. When the storm arose, they said, don't you care that we are perishing? There are always questions that come up in a storm. That's the wrong question. Or, God, is this you doing this? Is this the enemy? Is this, is it, for me, wrong questions. Maybe, Lord, I don't need to understand exactly when and how and why, but I do know that this didn't take you by surprise. I do know that you spoke to people all over the world about this. I do know that you are good. I do know that you are going to work with this, and I do know that you're coming into homes. You are resetting values. You are reshifting priorities. You are, you are doing things. How can I position to partner with you? Zacchaeus had to climb a tree to see from a different perspective. There are times when we can choose a position to see the path that he's on. And I believe this is one of those times. And that's why the Psalm 84 ends with this. O Lord of hosts, blessed is a man who put his trust in you. I trust you. I trust you, Lord. So, revealing reliance. He is coming to reveal to people what they rely on. He's returning into the home. He's resetting values. And it's, friends, please hear me when I say it's easy to say I am preaching this to myself. There are things in our home that I'm realizing that needs to change. That need, and it's not, it's not through law. It's not through guilt. It's through relationship. And it's wonderful because it's coming to prepare us for what's coming. Because this is a preparation season for an awakening that I believe will come. Secondly, learning how to dig. Verse 6, Psalm 84, 6. It says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, that's the valley of tears or the valley of weeping. They make it a spring. The word in the New King James or the word in the King James is the word well. They make it a well. They dig a well. The rain also covers it with pools. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a well or a spring, and then the rain covers it with pools. So the valley of Baca, as I said, is just a difficult time. It's a valley of weeping. It's a valley of tears. It's like a crucible. And the singers, I want to read you, a quote, if I can, out of a book that I cannot actually remember where I took it from. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I will go find it if you want to quote. But it says this, The singers in Psalm 84 yearn to be in God's presence and can't wait to arrive at their destination. But their song is also about the journey itself and the challenges along the road. This pilgrimage often has to cross valleys such as the Valley of Tears or Weeping, meaning it also means thirsty valley. And this depicts seasons in life when our feet get tired and the joy of the journey fades, friendships grow cold, our souls become dry, and yet we have to learn to dig in search of water. And pilgrims cannot skirt around this valley. We have to traverse it. We have to engage the challenges that life brings. When the soul is dry, it seems to be doubly hard work which is how many of us feel now. But it is yet a requirement. 
Then he speaks, I mean, explain about an allegorical book, much like Pilgrim's Progress, when they would face a giant, but the giant's name was Doubtful. They speak about a, shepherd, a shepherdess, a female shepherd, and her name was Much Afraid. It's very interesting. It says, in the allegorical book, Hind Feet on High Places, the shepherdess, who is called Much Afraid, has to travel through a desert on her way to the high places where her shepherd lives. That would be Jesus, in case you missed that. She resists traveling through such desolate, barren, and difficult terrain. But as she journeys through, she discovers that she is actually not alone in those places. The desert is filled with people. She meets Abraham there, then Sarah, and Joseph, and an endless procession of others. They hold out their hand to her, and she finds herself part of a great chain of many pilgrims. And they reassure her that the desert is, yes, a place of adversity, but it is also a place of promise, for it is only in the desert that you learn how to dig. It says they make it a spring. They pass through the valley and they make it, in the, they make it a spring. What happens in the natural to the water that falls on the mountain? When the Bible speaks about rain, it's something only God can do. When the Bible speaks about rain and latter rain, it's the outpouring of the Spirit. It's a moment of revelation in your car. It's the, you know, even for the prophetic people, unless he makes it go ding, we ain't got nothing. You know, it's it, it, something that we can't do. So what happens to the rain that falls on the mountain from the last outpouring of God on the earth or from the last moment of revelation you had in your car or from the last time that you really had an impactful time encounter with the Lord. What happens to that rain? What happens to that? Well, it actually flows down the valley and it flows to your lowest point. That's what happens in the natural. It happens in the spirit too. It always flows to the lowest point. So what happens is, it's interesting how God does it. He conceals his rain, his abundance, his provision, his revelation, who he is, the power of the Holy Spirit. He conceals things that come from heaven and he puts them under your feet when you're at your lowest point. That's what happens. And so when you're walking through a valley, it's dry, but under your feet is everything that he's just revealed from the last mountaintop. Everything that he's done in the, on the earth already. Everything that he's already given you is under your feet. We don't perceive it, but it's there. But we have to dig to get it. We have to dig to get it. What does this mean? Somebody said this, victory for what we are now facing is under our feet in this part of the journey. It makes this part of the journey exciting <laughs> because we know that it comes just before the rain. When a people come to this part of the journey, it doesn't feel exciting, but heaven's excited because it's the part that comes just before rain, which is what God can do and we cannot. Now, God has been speaking, revealing, and showing many prophets and others what's coming. Many have been praying for the nation, asking for a sovereign awakening, and yet then we turn, and we pray, God, and then we turn, and we see some dry, abandoned valley in our lives, and it feels like unanswered prayer, when actually it is answered prayer. It just means it's time to dig a well. It's time to dig us to, to find water, to find a spring, and it's already there. We're standing on it. And in the natural, you don't have clouds don't gather where there's no water. 
That's why, des- you know, evaporation, I don't want to go into that. But that's why it says they make it a spring. They dig a well, and they find something of truth and revelation. God has already spoken to you. Everything that I read in the beginning, God spoke to us. Everything, even as a body, as a church, but globally, God spoke to us. This is what's coming. This, and he said, you're not going to understand it. It's not going to be what it looks like. It's not going to be. But he's speaking. And concealed in everything he's already revealed, concealed in everything he's done in our hearts when we're on the way to the work in the car and we cry or there's a revelation, that song comes on and it touches our hearts. He's taught us things. He's shown us things. He's saying, underneath your feet, everything from that mountaintop has flown down. Just go get it. It Just dig a little bit. And you will find water. And then the clouds gather. And that's the outpouring of the Spirit. The clouds gather, they make it a spring, and then the rain comes and covers it with pools. If we would understand the times and the seasons, the victory is already there. But there are times when the Bible says we need to stir it up. My wife is teaching my uh, sons right now this scripture, uh, Hebrews 10.24, stir up love and good works. So I hear that scripture going around my house all day. And it keeps impacting my heart every time. So I've gone to look it up. And there's three times in the New Testament where that phrase is used, stir up. And Paul says, stir up the gift that is within you, to Timothy. Uh, Hebrews says, stir up love and good works. It also says, to stir up, Peter says, I've written this letter to you in 2 Peter Peter 3 verse 1. He says, I've written this letter for, for you as a reminder so you stir up the sound and pure mind that is within you. And I see a picture of like a, of a glass of water. If you take a glass of water so we can understand it, and there's mud at the bottom. If that mud is just there, just a little bit of dirt, a little bit of mud, and you leave it, and it just settles at the bottom, and it's there for a long time, you can actually take a sip of that water gently, and you don't even know that it's there. And it's very similar of what it means to dig. There are times where God calls us to stir up. And so you take something and you stir that water, and all of a sudden... The look of the water changes. The mud was there, but it needs someone to stir it. And God is saying, there are things inside you. The love of God is there. The kingdom is in you. There's things inside you. You cannot, if I could stir water all day that has no dirt in it, it's not just going to appear. It has to be in there already. And he's saying, stir up love and good works. Stir up the gift that is in you. Stir up a sound and pure mind, which is the mind of Christ. Think like I'm thinking. Stir it up. It's already there. You just need to stir it. You cannot stir up what's not there. So, it's time to learn to dig. And people, I wish I had time to get onto this, but what do you mean when you say dig? Well, I would encourage you, and maybe I'll take a video and do some of this practically, but go into the Psalms and find your heart in the Psalms. You'll read a Psalm and suddenly be like, that's what I feel like. Stay there, stay there, read it every day. That's learning to, that's learning to dig. It's to sit down also, just a suggestion, and go through your personal history with the Lord in prayer. People say, well, I don't really know how to pray. Hear my heart, learn to pray. No one can really teach you how to pray because it's going to be different. They can help you. They can guide you. But you learn to pray by yourself. And sit down and just begin to pray. Begin to take the word. 
Begin to read the Word. That's all it is. It's the basics. Learning to dig. Learning. Look at what God said over you in the past. If you have prophetic words, go look at them. Stand on them. Speak them. Believe them. Take a psalm. Put it into your life. Take the Word. Put it into your life. Uh, Think about your personal history with God. I do that often. I think, gee, Lord, we've done this together. We've partnered in this together. We've, and faith begins. I'm stirring. Faith begins to come. I'm digging, and I'm finding water that is underneath my feet because he's already given me what we need. He's already given you what you need. So learn to pray. Read the Word. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. Go look them up. It's learning to dig. And then lastly, unshakable hearts. It says in verse 7, Psalm 84, 7, And they go from strength to strength till each one appears before God in Zion. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each one appears before God in Zion. There's a well-known scripture in Ephesians 4. You can turn to it if you want. That It says this. Ephesians 4, to explain this unshakable heart, it says, To each one of us, Ephesians 4, verse 7 to 8, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. It's a very well-known part of Ephesians 4. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to, be, to men. It's speaking about the fivefold ministry. He gave the gifts, the gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. That's what the Scripture goes into. But the principle is the same. He's saying when Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended on high, it says he led captivity captive. And what that means is in those days, they used to, when, there was a, when you used to take captive a whole kingdom, you would take their king or the emperor or whatever, and you would put him in chains, and you would display him in front of the people with maybe some of his generals or his army, and they would lead this, this train of captives through a procession in front of all the citizens of that kingdom. And they would, in a sense, take the bounty that they had won and throw it out to the people. And so Paul is using that. He's saying, when he led captivity captive, he conquered death and sin and the grave and the enemy and the demons, and he beat all of it. And he bound them up, and he led them in a procession. And it says, and he gave gifts to men. That's the word is mankind. He gave gifts to the citizens of his new kingdom. The point is that if you were in that crowd, if you can imagine it in your mind, if you were in that crowd and you, oh, look at this beautiful gift, you don't think about the enemy. You don't think about the defeated foe. It doesn't come into your recollection. You think, gee, look, because they are no threat to you. Because they are being bound and gagged and led in. They're no threat. So the point is... <laughs> Anything we do, anything we can build up in this life, career, finance, can I say even people, sadly, because obviously there's a crisis and many are perishing, but anything of this life that we can build up, good things, bad things, but anything of this life, anything that happens in the earth, anything that happens in life, it can touch all those things. But it cannot touch what he gives you because that comes from another kingdom 
It cannot. Anything we do or build up in this life is subject to all the things this life brings, like finances, houses, cars. And sometimes it doesn't take much to put that all under great threat, as we are now experiencing. But anything he gives cannot be touched, for it is not of this world. That's why he comes to a man like Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come into your home to reset values, to reshape things. Why? Because you are relying on something. You're leaning on something that you've built. That's fine. But you're relying on something that when there's shaking comes, it won't stand. It's not to to expose him. It's not to rebuke him. He's a man of influence. The whole community looks to you. You're corrupt. I'm going to shift and change your heart to enrich a community. So when a shaking comes, the community does well. But I have to change what you rely on. I have to change what you lean on. So Jesus sets him on a firm foundation. Lean on things in this season. When it comes to understanding the times and the seasons, I want to encourage you, lean on things that cannot be shaken. And when everything is being shaken, which is happening right now, the church is being shaken. The nations are being shaken. Families shaken. Everything we rely on is being shaken. It, it's amazing. It doesn't take much for those things to just be touched and affected, just like that. Yet the Bible says the kingdom of God is unshakable. Hebrews 12, verse 27 says, actually verse 28 says, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And sometimes there's a refiner's fire that comes and it shakes everything. And we feel it. We all feel it. I feel it. There's no one person. We're all in the same situation. Everyone's dealing with the same things. But the Bible says just before that, it says, when those things are shaken, it indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made. In other words, it says, and then those things which cannot be shaken remain. It says the shaking comes to reveal the things that actually have eternity attached to them. Because when there's a shaking, and then things are, ah, and then we see what remains, that's the kingdom. Sometimes it's the only way we know. And there are things in our heart. The Bible says about the kingdom, Jesus said, do not say the kingdom doesn't come with observation. Don't say it's over there or it's over there. He says the kingdom is within you. Bible says uh, the kingdom of God in Romans 14, 17. It says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has been shed abroad. The love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit who was in you. The Holy Spirit's in you. The kingdom of God is within you. The Lord is reminding his people in this season. He's taking what's happening and using it to remind us what it is to be the people of God. To lean on a kingdom that's inside, that is unshakable, friends. And from there, blessed is the man whose strength is not in himself, whose strength is in you. Within you there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So, understanding the times, I'll read it one more time. The sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. I believe the Lord is revealing to people where our reliances are. 
It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It feels like a crucible. feels like a valley of tears. But it's preparing us for what's coming. I believe values are being reset. I believe he's come back into the home. We are learning to dig wells. We are learning to make a spring to dig. And he is moving his people, the Bible says, from strength to strength. Because we are growing in the unshakable heart that is within us. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of tears, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools, and they go from strength to strength, and each one appears before God in Zion. I trust that this is encouraging to you, I, I, it is my heart to encourage you, but I also know that when we begin to see things from his perspective, it helps us. It greatly helps us. And blessed is the man whose strength is not... This, our strengths are being challenged. What we rely upon is being challenged. Our homes feel like they have a microscope on them. Our hearts are being shaken. And nevertheless, we are God's people. And he spoke to us about Goshen. He spoke to us about this will come, this will happen. Friends, he is with us. He is not surprised. He is not unaware. He is not, he is not, he is untouched by this. The things he has given you cannot be touched by the things that are happening in the earth. And they're in your heart. And we are learning to stir them up. Where do we run in times of crisis? That's the moment we stir up God help, change, bring perspective. There's issues in the home and issues in the family because you're getting sick and tired of one another. Go read the one another's in Scripture. There's 59 of them. Love one another. Take care of one another. Look after one another. I encourage you to do that. I want to read this over you as a benediction just to bless you. I know it's Palm Sunday and for those of you I encourage you to go read Matthew, I think it's 21, and Luke 19, it talks about that. It's a wonderful time when Jesus comes in, and he says, if, we don't, if, you don't, if they don't pray, the rocks will cry out. And you know, in the story of Gideon, in Judges 6 to 8, my dad shared this last week. Sorry, this is separate to what I was saying. It's just a nugget God's bringing up in my heart. My dad said, do not lose heart. And he read 2 Corinthians 4, when it says... Um, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And then later it says we are, um, the things that are temporary, the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So when those things are shaken, you know, we want to rely on the unseen things. But before that it says we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's us. Jars of clay is us. And in the story of Gideon, they took, and it was a prophetically pointing to us, they took those jars of clay and they put a, a torch on the inside and they held those jars of clay up, and then they smashed them. That's the breaking of sometimes it feels like we, we die inside, we break. It's the smashing of, and it says the light shined, and the enemy got confused and didn't know what to do. When it comes to our lives and we feel like we're going through the valley of tears, it's the smashing of the clay vessel. It's the smashing of the jars. And that's when the Lord says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
there's a crucible that we pass through and light begins to shine out of God's people because they remember their God, they remember who they are, they remember that they're his people. Very, very important. So, I'll read this to you. May the Lord bless you. You say, I wonder if you could do this for me. I know you're in your homes, you don't have to. Please, I don't want to cause fights between husbands and wives. So to each one of you, if you would like to, can you stand? If the husband wants to sit with his coffee, let him sit. Please. That just You never want to cause trouble. I wonder if you could close your eyes where you are, and I'm going to pray this over you. Maybe you could extend your hands if you want to. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, I thank you that in this season you are not shaken. And you are for us and you are in us and you go before us and you are with us. And we let our light shine before men so they can give glory to who you are, Jesus. You sit enthroned above it all. You knew about it. You're not surprised. Lord, blessed is the man who puts his trust in you. And we want to say, Lord, we may not always understand, but you are still Jehovah. You are still Yahweh. El Shaddai, El Elyon. And we trust you. We pray for our president. We pray for the leaders of this nation. We pray for unity to return to this nation out of this crisis. To silence the voices of division. In the name of Jesus. And for health to return. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. We love you. And we'll see you soon.